and uh, it's going to be a great event. And so again, that these tickets are available. They're 25 bucks, I think, according to that poster over there. And the other thing is, Matt has. I, I made some sermon notes this week, and Matt has those notes at the back here. So if that would help you to try to follow along. I don't actually promise that I'm going to follow my notes. But you can go home and say, oh, that's what he was trying to say, which is a good thing. All right. I think we also have a slide. If that slide or two appears, there we go. Come on. Let's go back so I can remember what the message is called. Great. The message today is called Make the Fire Alive, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So I think the next slide is the verses, and I will read it. And why don't you read it with me? I'm actually going to start in verse 5 here. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says this. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's pray together. Father, I just, uh, I love you. I need you so much. God, you are awesome and glorious and good. Father, you have um, done it through the Lord Jesus Christ, who is raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the glory in heaven and is awaiting the day of his return when he will definitively destroy Satan and all all who serve him and cast death into the lake of fire and then to bring your people into an eternity of ever-increasing joy, of ever-joyful creativity, and of ever-enriching worship of you around your throne. That's how I imagine it, Father, and I'm sure it will, whatever I think, it will just be better. God, in the meantime, I, you've called us to do the impossible. God, you've called us to, to be um, new, transformed beings. And Lord, unless you do it, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, nothing will happen. I can't do this. We can't do this. But God, you're here and you're faithful to your word. And you've promised that it is your desire and your delight to give your children the Holy Spirit. And it is your will that your word should change the world. And so, God, would you do all that's on your heart for Calvary Chapel this morning? Would you make the name of Jesus famous through us as we rejoice in you and say yes to the calling you have on us all together and as individuals? In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I heard once somebody say that um, preachers tend to have a message that they could preach all the time anywhere, uh, and and this is mine. I, I hit this one at least once a year, and so if it sounds familiar, um, you're welcome. Second Timothy one verses six and seven. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not Sorry, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
And you can receive this message as a prelude or prelude, depending on whether or not you're, you love English grammar or you're talking about a Honda vehicle, um, as a forerunner of our Pentecost weekend, as we are going to be remembering and celebrating the gift that Christ gave the church in sending of the Holy Spirit. I have three purposes for this uh, message this morning. The first is this. I, I want to make us aware of a responsibility that we have as Christians. Something that we are called to do. And not to expect somebody else to do. And not to expect God to do it without us doing it. There are things that God says to us. I want you to do this. And he is with us while we do it. And he makes it effective. And we're not separated from him, him in it. But we have a responsibility, and I want to make us aware of this and remind us of it. Second, I want to increase our desire as a church to have a rich experience of the Holy Spirit with the triple underline under experience. And I want to give us some practical things that we can do towards these ends. So let's just look at our text, the text of Scripture. I am fully convinced that the Bible is the Word of God to us, fully trustworthy, without error in it, um, not that we could judge it. And I think it's God's gift to us as a loving father to give us something dependable that we can receive and say, this is my dad talking through the Holy Spirit. And with this, here are some observations I make as we look at this scripture. Can we have the next slide? There we go. Here is a reasonable observation from what Paul says to Timothy. Number one, we see that Timothy was reminded to make sure a fire was burning bright. Okay, so that, that should be pretty obvious. Okay, I, I think we can all agree together that this scripture, Paul is saying to Timothy, you fan into flame the gift of God. Clear? Um, and in the Greek, you probably heard this before, I've shared this before, but just as a way of reminder, the actual Greek word is something like um, fire it up again is a good translation for it. It means like make fire up or make fire again, depending on what Anna means at the beginning of the word. But um, a, a really rough translation would be fired up again. Who's told to make sure that this thing is fired up? <clears throat> Timothy. Thank you. Paul says, Timothy, fire it up. Fire up your gift. I think we can also observe that this call to keep th this thing fired up is something that sincere believers are called to do. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which dwelt in your mother and in your grandmother, and I see dwells in you. For this reason, fan into flame the gift of God is in you. So a reasonable observation from this, te this text is that anybody who is a sincere believer, somebody who has a sincere faith in Christ, can likewise hear the call to keep this thing fired up. Does that make sense? So this is in opposition to or opposition to somebody who does not have a sincere faith. This is in opposition to somebody who has a weak faith. This is not a call for somebody who has a, a loopy, messed up, bizarro faith. This is a call for people who have a sincere faith in Christ. 
clear. I think we can also see from this text that the fire that Paul is talking about is the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying of my hands. Namely, this spirit of power and love and self-control. This is the Spirit of God he's talking about. And we can also see, <clears throat> excuse me, that Paul had in mind here when he was talking to Timothy that he thought the effect of fanning into flame the gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit, because he's a sincere believer, the effect would be that he would overcome the possibility of living in fear because of the troubles that were coming his way, but instead would experience power and love and having a sound mind or self-control. Now, I think these are all fair and reasonable observations from the Word of God, from the text of Scripture. Just as a reminder, number one, that Timothy is being told that he has a responsibility to keep the, the fire burning or to make it burn again. Number two, that this is a responsibility that comes to people who have a sincere faith in Jesus Christ. For, for everyone who has a sincere faith in Jesus Christ, not just the Charismatics, not just the Pentecostals. You can't say, well, I'm a Baptist. This doesn't work for us. Or we're E-freers or... I'm Catholic, or what? The prerequisite, prerequisite excuse me, for receiving the call to fan into flame the gift of God is that you have a sincere faith in Christ. Because none of these denominations even existed when the scriptures were being read. The issue was, Timothy, I know that you actually believe in Jesus. So I'm telling you, keep the fire alive. And that fire is the Holy Spirit. And it is meant to be experienced in this context with Power, love, and self-control overcoming fear. Why is it important to be alive in the Holy Spirit, to have the Spirit filling you, or to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to make sure that we're fulfilling our responsibility, that the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning bright in us? This is where I want to take a big look at the whole Bible and I want to convince you to to want to be filled with the Holy Spirit regularly and ongoingly and not to think that this is something for other people and that this would be a longing for your life. In case you missed it, I've already proven from Scripture that if you are a true Christian that I think this scripture applies to you, the calling to make sure that the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning bright in your life. And now I want to work on your desire for this. Reason number one. It's God's will that his image bearers be filled with his spirit. Human beings are totally unique in creation. According to Genesis 1, we are made in the image of God, unlike everything else he made. The stars aren't in God's image. Dogs aren't in God's image, though they're sometimes more faithful than we are. um, But they stink. And um, worms aren't made in God's image. Gorillas aren't made in God's image. We are uniquely made as God's image bearers. Creatures who resemble the creation made out of the dust so that we're a lot like the rest of creation, but made uniquely 
different than anything else made to know God and be like God uniquely relate to God and fulfill his purposes in the world as his ambassadors and regents and when in Genesis 2 after establishing in Genesis 1 that human beings are God's image bearers we have kind of a a different perspective on the creation of human beings in the creation of Adam and I want to read to you Genesis chapter 2 starting in verse 5 it says this when no bush of the field was yet in the land And no small plant on the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. God can create any way he wants to. And God can tell the story of making human beings any way he wants to. And so the way he tells the story matters. And when God was telling the story of making the first human being, he tells the story like, I made this guy out of the ground, grab some clay or whatever. Adam means dirt. The Hebrew word for, for dust is Adama. And Adam's name is Adam. So he, his name is earthling, essentially earthy earl or whatever you want to think but that his name is earth but god didn't just make him and then say speak over him like he did the rest of creation in some sense that's mysterious and we probably wouldn't know how to describe it it says that he actually breathed the breath of life into him because he wanted to make us know that human beings become real human beings when they have the breath of god in them that's the point human beings are utterly unique and true human beings have the breath of god in them at the end of the gospel of john when jesus had come to rescue the world because as you know things went terribly wrong you don't have to convince anybody that the world is not the way it should be you don't have to you really don't have to Everybody knows there's something wrong. There's lots of disagreement on how to fix it or what the problem is. Generally, people's answer is the problem is you. That's what we say. The problem is you. I know there's something wrong with the world, and if you just weren't here, everything would be all right. And I'm joking a little bit, but Jesus came and he bore that that burden. He came to be the person who got kicked out of the world so that everyone could be saved. He came and said, yeah everybody's a mess and i'll take the punishment for it to fix things and he died on the cross and he was raised from the grave and before he left he spent some time on the on the earth talking to his disciples excuse me and before he left in john chapter 20 starting verse 19 there's this interesting event it says this on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, notice this, them being trapped by fear. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, proving that he was crucified in his hands and had the spear stabbed in his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And we are absolutely supposed to hear an echo of Genesis chapter 2. 
Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, now breathing the breath of life into his disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll probably remember from Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost, the first sign that he showed up was a great and rushing mighty wind, creating a new humanity, the church, who are filled with the breath of God. Rob, why are you saying all this stuff? Out of these biblical facts, I want you to know the truth. True human beings are meant to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's part of what it means to be a human, is to be filled with the, the Spirit of God. So when you meet somebody and they aren't filled with the Spirit of God, they aren't what they were meant to be. The Holy Spirit is not like bonus. It's not like a baker's dozen when you get that 13th bun thrown in there. I lost some of you right there. That's okay. It's not like when you go to Superstore and you use your optimum points and you get like 15,000 points back. Bonus! The Holy Spirit is not a bonus that some Christians do or get. Being filled with the breath of God, with the Spirit of God, is what human beings were meant for. That's what it means to be human and fulfill God's plan for his image bearers is to have the Spirit of God in you. Don't you think that would be important? Christian, do you want to mess up God's plan? Thank you. One person. Bonus points. But I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit, because that's not bonus. Being filled with the Spirit is God's basic plan for human beings. And we messed it up with our sin, but God is restoring things. I also want to say, this is my second point here, that it has been God's will to be present with his people through his spirit. And we can see this in scripture by noticing when God shows up with fire. First, we were looking at wind, which is one of the main symbolisms of the Holy Spirit, because spirit means wind. There's only one word in Greek, sometimes translated spirit, sometimes translated wind. But also the Holy Spirit appears visibly through fire sometimes. So if we go back to Exodus, we've been spending a lot of time in Exodus. Yay. If we go back to Exodus in chapter 3, Moses um, has killed that Egyptian and had to flee, and he spent 40 years waiting for nothing to happen, living as a shepherd. And God decides it's time to send him on his mission. How does God decide to show up to Moses? In the burning bush. Thank you, Charlton Heston. Everybody knows because we've seen it. Or maybe it's that other movie, that cartoon. He shows up in a burning bush. And the scripture says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not consumed. And it wasn't just that God was trying to get Moses' attention. He could have done that with fireworks or just having an angel show up. You know, when, when angels show up, people usually start having heart attacks. It was a prophetic picture of what God wanted to do with his people. He wanted to be the fire inside of them that does not consume them. In Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost Day happens and the Holy Spirit comes into the church to empower them, 
First he shows up in the mighty rushing wind, and then Scripture says that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So how I imagine this looking, you know, if you go to a big bonfire, please don't do this anytime soon. There's like literally a fire every single day just in the Steinbeck area, and we need to keep praying for rain. But when the Holy Spirit came to the believers in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, as I imagine, it was like a big bonfire, but going downwards. So, you know, when you look at a bonfire, there's like, it looks like the fire goes up like this, like kind of tongues going up into the sky. And on Pentecost, as I imagine it, we can obviously disagree. It was like the fire was coming downwards and that the tongues of fire were coming down and hitting people. And in this case, in Second Timothy, we have Paul saying, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Where is this fire that was in the burning bush? Where is this fire now that came down in tongues on Pentecost? Where does it live? In you, Christian with sincere faith. I remind you to fan in the, to flame the gift of God. Make the fire burn inside of you. This fire that was in Moses' bush, this fire that came down on Pentecost, it now lives in you. Somebody should get the chills right now. Because this is the most amazing privilege. Privilege is a big deal to us nowadays. Uh, the word privilege has been weaponized. So, so now we're supposed to walk around and imagine who has more privilege than us and then get mad at them until they they give us their stuff, whatever it is. Um, We have no idea the privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit and the accomplishments of God that this is possible. Let's talk about each of those in turn. The privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, who is filled with the Holy Spirit? The prophets of God. And the first few kings. Christian, the same spirit that lived in David, who caused him to write the Psalms and gave him victory in battle, lives in you, only better. The same spirit that lived in Isaiah and caused him to write the entire book of Scripture and work miracles, lives in you. The same spirit that lived in Jeremiah, the same spirit that gave Samson unbelievable strength, even though he was a terrible person, especially to women. The same spirit that gave Jethro victory, Jethro, no, Jephthah, victory, lives in you. The same spirit that gave Solomon his unbelievable wisdom lives in you. The same spirit that empowered Christ for his ministry and gave him grace to go to the cross and raised him from the dead lives in you. Like what what in the world could you get that is a greater privilege than the spirit of the prophets and the spirit of Christ living in you? There, There like literally is not one besides maybe being called a son of God. Or a child of God. But like as far as something that you can have. The spirit. Of the prophets. Lives. In you. And through his own word says. Make me burn. Amen. Like it's not just Paul telling Timothy. It is the spirit of God writing through Paul to Timothy. In whom is also the spirit of God saying. Make me live Timothy. Make me burn. Make me burn. For all of us, the same spirit who lived in David says, make me burn in you. What privilege? What could you get 
even for Mother's Day, that could make you feel more special? What, what friendship could you have? Even with the pastor. Oh man, invited over to the pastor's house? Compared to having the Spirit of God living in you, I, I'm, I'm like getting kissed by a wet dead fish. And sometimes I'm not that different, even without the comparison. Do you hear me trying to change how you think about the world? You cannot have a greater gift under the blood of Jesus than, than having the spirit of the prophets and the kings of old living inside of you, which is why they were freaking out on the day of Pentecost. That's, that's part of why they were so excited they got it. They totally got it. And that's part of why. Do you remember that story from Acts when um, God tells Peter to go with Cornelius? And, P- and there's this huge problem because Cornelius is a Gentile and the Jewish people didn't even go into their homes because then they might get unclean and then they can't eat with other Jewish people. And God says, gives him this vision of the food coming down and commands him, do not call unclean anything I've made clean. And an angel shows up and off they go with Cornelius. And Peter is preaching. And in the midst of the preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on these dirty, unclean sinner Gentiles. And then they look at each other and they go, shoot shoot, I guess we can't withhold baptism from them because they have the Holy Spirit. Like, they have the same Spirit as Jesus. So how can we say, there's something wrong with you now? They've been accepted. They have the same Spirit as Isaiah and the psalmist. So how can we say, you're second class? That's their problem. How can we withhold baptism from them? They've got the same Spirit (laughs) as Moses on them. That's privilege. And also just the accomplishment of it. The picture of the burning bush is super awesome, instructive for us. What should fire do to a burning bush? Like we know, there's pictures on Steinbeck online all the time. What does fire do to dry, dry, dry grass? It just consumes it. What should the presence of the holy God do to a sinner? Absolutely consume us. Think about that. We come in here and we pray and we and we do this stuff, what should the fire of God do to a sinner? Absolutely consume us. Do you remember that story from the Old Testament when I think it was Nadab and Abihu, they tried to offer um, the wrong incense or something to God? They, They did it wrong. They did their priesthood wrong. What happened? The fire of God came out of the presence of God and totally consumed them. And there was really nothing left but the bones and the censers that they were holding. That's what should happen to us. Except that God has done it. He has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent him to die on the cross for the sins of his people, stretching around the entire world. The, 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 the ignitability of us was burned up on the cross. And instead, through faith, we get the righteousness of Jesus so that when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, he comes to live in a cleansed temple. And we're not just dry kindling. And we need to get it. Every time the Holy Spirit comes and does something, speaks to us, makes us know God's presence, it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ because he's made us safe to be around God or the other way around. He is still the Holy Spirit. He's holy. He's just so holy. 
But through the blood of Jesus, instead of judging us for our lack of holiness, he creates holiness in us. Do you remember that story of the, uh, the leper from Jesus's ministry? The lepers, like all unclean, all unclean. And usually whenever an unclean person would touch another unclean person, they would also become unclean. The uncleanliness was the infectious part, if you want to think about it like this. But Jesus looks at this leper and says, I am willing. And he touches him and he makes him clean. So through Jesus, it's actually the holiness becomes contagious. It's the holiness that spreads. And that is through the Holy Spirit. Everything's changed because of the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus. So we should just be so happy. Like we've been made holy so that God's presence can be near us, not to consume, but in love and power. And we are so privileged that you cannot read a word of Scripture except that the same Spirit that brought about these holy words lives in you. And so I think that God would say to us, make your experience of that Holy Spirit great. Make the fire of the Spirit of God burn. Make it awesome. And finally, I, I, I want us to take seriously our responsibility to make our experience of the Holy Spirit great and to stir up our desire for loving the Holy Spirit because this is how we're supposed to live. If you take out the Holy Spirit from your life, the New Testament doesn't make any sense. Their advice doesn't make any sense. The counsel doesn't make any sense. Their expectations of Christian living, they don't make any sense. Number one, in, in John chapter 16, when Jesus says, um, actually, I'm going to do that one last. First Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that the gifts of God that we need as a church to do our work in building each other up and spreading the gospel come from the Holy Spirit. It's the same Father who gives them. It's the same Christ who commissions them and it's the spirit that gives them to us and they're 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 all different gifts there's lots of different gifts and they look different coming out of different people but they all come from the one spirit and so if we're not excited about this spirit empowering us gracing us causing us to be fruitful and effective we just won't be the kind of christians we're supposed to be we're supposed to think wow the holy spirit's here to make me be able to do things i can't do to build up the church and to spread the gospel it's the Holy Spirit who changes us to be like God. You can remember Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the difference between life in the flesh and life in the Spirit. Life apart from the Spirit is just nastiness. It's a bunch of wet cats stuck in a burlap sack. It's just, it's just nastiness. It's fighting. It's division. It's um, false gods. It's sorcery. It's idolatry. It's uh, arrogance. It's all this everything um, nasty that we love to read about in the news. It's just gross. And contra... That and opposite to that is life in the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Not that God just said, hey, what are some great words from the dictionary that would make Bible sound good? Oh, love, that's a great word. The hippies are going to love that someday, and so I should throw that in here now. Um, No, this is the character of God. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is so patient. He is so kind. He is so gentle. He is so faithful. And he is overflowing in self-control. And so God wants to make us who we are always meant to be. And he does that through the Holy Spirit in us. He's also the, midst of, the strength in the midst of our weakness. 
2 Corinthians 12, you may remember, I, I bring up this scripture all the time because I need it so bad. Where Paul is telling about that time where he was praying. He has this thorn in the flesh that just makes him feel so weak. He says it's even demonically inspired. And he says he prayed three times to the Lord about this. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take it away. Because number one, you get proud. But he also says that his grace is sufficient for Paul. And his power is made perfect in weakness. Well, let's just draw a straight line. Paul says that power from God comes through whom? The Holy Spirit. Because it's the spirit of power. So when Jesus is saying to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness, what he's saying is, you will get all the power you need by the Holy Spirit in you while you feel weak. And this is really important for us, even as a charismatic church, because we can have a misunderstanding. At least I think it's a misunderstanding. I think we can often believe that if we're overflowing in the Holy Spirit, that we're going to feel strong. That life's going to feel easy. We're not going to feel pain. We're not going to feel anguish. We're not going to have to work on our relationships. We're not going to get attacked by the enemy. And that's not the reality. It seems to me that often the more full of the Holy Spirit we are, the more we are able to endure the situations we're in while we bring relief to others. So the presence of the Holy Spirit doesn't usually mean relief for us right off the bat. It usually means endurance for us as we bring relief to others. That seems to me like you can weigh that by scripture. Maybe you can test it by your life. But if we're standing around going, I want the Holy Spirit so all my troubles will go away. No, the Holy Spirit says to you, you're actually supposed to rejoice in your troubles. Your troubles are making you a mature Christian instead of a, the other option. You're supposed to rejoice by the power of God in, your, in, in the Holy Spirit in your troubles while you go about the work of helping other people in their troubles and relieving their troubles. Amen? Have you ever noticed that? To us, God often says no, but through us, God often says yes. That's, that's a, we should just need to get that. The more Holy Spirit we have, it doesn't mean that necessarily in our own quiet prayer times, everything's going to get better. But usually we will be able to endure what we're going through so that we can help other people through what they're going through. That seems to be, to me, the case. And I would be happy for us to not get hung up on why nothing's changing for us very quickly and instead be just saying, God's going to get me through this by the power of the Holy Spirit, and how can I be helping other people in the midst of this? Sounds Christian to me. And the last reason I want to talk about we're called to live a life by the Holy Spirit and why I want us to want this is because when we love the Holy Spirit, we actually tell Jesus he's smart, which is a good thing to do. In John chapter 16, you might remember this. Jesus says to his disciples, it's actually for your advantage that I would go away because if I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit to you and I want to send the Holy Spirit to you because he's going to guide you into all truth and he's going to convict the world and he goes on from there. So when we love the Holy Spirit, we're actually saying, good job, Jesus. You were right. You did need to go so you could send the Holy Spirit because this is actually to our advantage. This is better. And sometimes we can get hung up. I just wish Jesus were here. I wish we could touch him and hear what he would really have to say, by the way, that's what the Bible's here for. But when we say, okay, Jesus, give us more of the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, we love you and welcome you, we're saying to Jesus, good job, you're right, well done. It's very hard to honor someone when we're telling them they made a mistake. So when we say, give us more of the Holy Spirit, we're telling Jesus, you did right, 
because you left to send the Holy Spirit until you should return. Does that make sense? All right. Okay, I'm going to be quick here. And Greg, why don't you start getting your band up here? I'm going to talk really fast, but I want us to have time to pray together. So you can even just start playing while I talk, and we'll see how it goes. We've done that once before. It was awesome. Four ways we can stir up the fire in ourselves. Okay, the command is make the fire of the Holy Spirit alive in you. Number one, talk to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever gotten the silent treatment from somebody before? Does that build up your relationship and experience of love? Don't give the Holy Spirit the silent treatment, okay? I know we generally pray to the Father, and that's great. I know we generally pray to Jesus, and that's wonderful. Um, We can talk to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm so glad you're here. Guys, I love the Holy Spirit so much. Like he was sent to be my best friend. And I'm a quality time guy. I like just being together. And the Holy Spirit is like always just being with me. So awesome. So I don't spend all my time talking to the Holy Spirit, but I will address him. Holy Spirit, I love you. I'm so grateful you're here. You've been so patient with me. Like he's watched me every time I've ever sinned as a Christian. He was right there kind of going, tap, tap, tap. We should deal with that. But he's been my friend the whole time. I love him. Holy Spirit, I love you, Jesus. You're amazing for sending the Holy Spirit. Father, so kind of you to give me your own spirit. Number two, you can listen to the Holy Spirit. If you talk to somebody and they totally ignore you, do you feel like that builds up your relationship? Usually not, parents. Mother's Day. This is what scripture says. Paul says this. This is Thessalonians, number one, chapter five. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Then he says, do not quench the spirit. So don't, don't make the fire go down. That's what quench means. Don't make the fire go down. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And Paul is saying when we don't listen to the spirit, it actually, it, that's what makes the fire go down. And so as an application, he says, don't ignore the prophetic gifts. Don't ignore the fact that the Holy Spirit talks. Don't just say, I don't want to deal with that junk. It makes the fire go down. Instead, reasonably deal with it. Test what you need to test. Receive what is good. Number three, on how to stir up the fire. Believe the word of God. Galatians chapter three, verse two. Paul says to the church that is turning to the law and away from Christ, let me only ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is hearing with faith. Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now going to be perfected by the flesh, by what you do? Do, do you suffer so many things for nothing? Verse five, does he who supplies the spirit to you work miracles among you by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is by hearing the gospel and hearing the word of God by faith. He sends a fresh supply of the spirit on people when they believe his word. He throws extra logs on the fire when we just say, God, you're true. And I confess my sins or God, you're true. And I believe what you say, God, you're true. And I put all my trust in Jesus God says, have some more Holy Spirit. And you've got to learn to preach to yourself, Christian. If you can't preach truth to yourself, that fire's going to go down. And number four, and this is my last one. Renounce anger, bitterness, offense, division, and other works of the flesh. You renounce it. Just don't have anything to do with it. 
It's just no good. It, 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 the spirit just, he gets grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Who loves your anger? The devil. Who loves your offense? Who loves your division? Let no, the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work, so that he, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Sorry, skipping to verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. This is so practical. The devil wants a spiritless church. And so he says, didn't you notice how these people weren't nice to you? You should be angry at them. And the Spirit says, oh, don't go there. Because I can't go there. Instead, he wants what? Forgiveness, tenderheartedness, unity. This is so practical. This is just so practical. Can we do this? Can we just be forgiving each other? If we've been caught in offense, if we've caught in anger at family members or church or people at work, why don't we just stand right now before the Lord and just say, God, I repent and I renounce it. I renounce every giving into every emotion that makes my fire go down. I believe in the Spirit of God. I believe in the Spirit that overcomes fear. I believe that this is Jesus' best gift for me now. That it's better now that I would have the Spirit than that Jesus would return. Obviously, because He hasn't come back yet. Amen? If it were best for Him to be back, He'd be back right now. So, He's not back. So, right now, the best is Holy Spirit. And and the Holy Spirit says, make me alive. Do what you got to do to make the fire go up. Believe in my word. Forgive people. Pray. Welcome me. Put your hands out. What you got to do to be full of the spirit of power and love and self-control. Do it. If you're a real Christian. So, I love you. Guess what? Following Jesus is risky. There's nothing I can do to take away from that. I can take away following Jesus from you. I can t- take you. There's no risk. There's no trouble. It's, everything's going to be fine. I'm just not teaching you to be a Christian when I talk like that. There's risk. There's always risk. But you have the spirit of the living God in you. It's going to be okay as we walk in faith. Why don't we stand together? Father, we just love you. I confess. I believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, you willed all things and you have predestined all things. And at the same time, you are the most loving and gracious Father ever. So overflowing with mercy that you sent your own Son, who is God, to become a man and to live the perfect life as Savior and Messiah, working miracles and destroying the works of the devil. And at the right time, in the right way, he went according to your will to the cross to kill the works of Satan and to end the division between us because of sin and to come into a new life by the power of the Holy Spirit and to ascend to heaven as a Lord. I confess this. And at the right time, he sent the Holy Spirit to fulfill the works of Christ and to apply the faith of Christ and the salvation of Christ and the blood of Christ and to create the bride of Christ who is the body of Christ filled with the power of Christ, which is the the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. I confess this. I confess this for myself. I confess this for Calvary Chapel. And God, I stand in prayer against every mindset that says, I'm scared. 
or this is not for me, or I'm not ready, or anything, Lord, that would keep us from just coming before you and saying, God, the Spirit is your fatherly gift. The Word of Christ is. If you, fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Father, the Holy Spirit is your biggest fatherly love gift, and the Holy Spirit inside of us even wrestles with our hearts and causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, to you. Every single person who truly says, God is my Father, does this because of the power of the Holy Spirit bringing life to dead sinful hearts and overcoming the shame and the guilt that is heaped on us by Satan and by our own consciences. We are the children of God because the Spirit of God dwells in us through the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we are. And so, Christian, as we're needed to, why don't we just confess anything that we believe has been keeping us from the fullness of the life of God in us? Do you need to confess bitterness? Do you need to acknowledge offense? Is there division in your life because you have been sitting in judgment on people? Are you harboring a wound instead of getting healed and bringing it to Christ? Are you in bondage to sin that you're not dealing with faithfully through walking in the light? Confess these things. If you're scared, just confess it. God knows. He's so gracious. Confess it. And God, even as we're getting real and we're getting honest, would you grace us afresh? with the experience of the Holy Spirit. God, you said that we would be able to tell the difference between if our fire was small or our fire is big. And that tells me that this is an experience. You can tell if the burner on your stove is on one or on ten. You can tell if if you're looking at a match or if you're standing in front of a bonfire. We can tell. And so, God, I pray that you would help each one of us experience the presence of God through the Spirit and experience the love of the Father through the Spirit and experience the overcoming ability to do good by the strength that God supplies to other people by the Spirit. God, I pray you'd make us overflow in good works by the power of the Spirit. God, I want words of knowledge. I want prophetic words. I want gifts of healing. God, I want service by the power of the Spirit. I want true administration to make things work in a way that brings health. God, I want just words of encouragement. God, I want teaching and prophecy and apostolic ministry and evangelism and pastoral care to be abounding here as each one of us just says, it's God who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. It's God who's doing it. I love his presence and I worship his son and the father deserves all the glory. God, would you do it, Lord? We've only begun. And so God, would you help each one of us to take the responsibility that you have called us to through this scripture and to walk with you in truth. In Jesus' name, why don't we worship together, family?